0: Good morning. Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. Uh, it's good to be back. I was uh, my wife and I we were away last week. We were on our baby moon vacation, so uh, getting a little R and R before the baby arrives in July. So it it was great, great vacation. But it's good to be back uh, and, and see everyone this morning at church. So I would like to just call us to worship, and and we're gonna do a little. A few things a little differently this morning, but um, first, just in your bulletin, you know, check out your bulletin, see what's going on, uh, ways you can serve and ministries you can plug into, uh, whether it's uh, Vacation Bible School coming up, I'm sure still that they're still looking for volunteers, ways to serve and to help there. Uh, I want to highlight our student ministry. Uh, This Wednesday, we're having a parent meeting following our youth service this Wednesday night. Uh, and also we're encouraging all of our students. We want to have as many students as we can. Uh, We really hope your kids are there. We're going to do some uh, fun things, have pizza this Wednesday, make a push for a high attendance this Wednesday night and follow that with the parent meeting. Uh, That I think is very important Uh, for the youth ministry, just looking forward to things and, and seeing how we can grow things in the student ministry. Uh, so check those things out in your bulletin, and also if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, uh, we're so glad that you're here and that you chose to worship here this morning with us. And, and there's a place for you to connect, there's a tear-off tab in the bulletin uh, where you can say, hey, I'm a guest, and um, just put in your information, we want to let you know that we are glad that you're here, and we want to connect to you uh, through that. And also, if you just have any prayer requests, any need, uh, let us know so that we can pray for you, so the church can be praying for you, so the church can, uh, can step up and, and serve uh, you. So we are so happy you are here to worship this morning. And, and this morning, uh, I'm going to give a, a brief, hopefully brief, report on my trip to Boston. Uh, so uh, I went to Boston just a few weeks ago, so it's been a busy few weeks for me. I've kind of been all over the place. I've truly been coast to coast. Uh, from the Boston Harbor a few weeks ago to the Pacific Ocean uh, just this past week. So uh, there's been a lot going on, but I have an opportunity now to, to share about what the Lord is doing in Boston uh, and, and how we as a church can be a part of that. So uh, Boston, it is one of the North American Mission Board's SEND cities, uh, S-E-N-D, the SEND city. Uh, and there's, I think, about 30 uh, of those that the North American Mission Board has And Boston is one of the, I would say, most important ones in the North American Mission Board's list, in their mind. Because Boston, it is the second most lost city in America. The second most unreached city in America in terms of percentage of Christians. It is only about 3% Christian. So you pick 100 people, you will probably only find, on average, about 3 Christians in the city of Boston. Uh, so i'm going to give you some uh, some numbers some perspectives some things about what the culture of boston is like and then uh, lastly i want to share about uh, the work god is doing i I can't go over all the details by any means but share a couple uh, of brief stories uh, about the churches and ways that we as a church can be a part of that work Uh, so the city of boston it has about 600,000 people and i'm talking the city proper within the city limits boston the city limits it 's fairly small, so six hundred thousand people in this city, so it is a dense city with and that doesn 't count the three hundred thousand college students, three hundred thousand college students in the city of Boston so so that population it, it changes you know when school's in and when school's out uh, during the summer it 's going to go down way, way down, but it You know, come September, it's way back up, so about 300,000 college students. So 900,000 people total in the city of Boston and the whole metro. So once you get outside of the city, you expand to the metro, about 5.8 million people and only 3% Christian. I mean, that should strike us, that there is a great, great need for the gospel there. And what's so sad about Boston, that region, that part of the country is where American Christianity is where it was birthed. I mean, you look at the historic churches, you walk around, you see these great uh, places of worship that are now empty. Uh, So there's a rich tradition and rich history of Christianity there, uh, but today so much of it is only a shell uh, of what was before. They lost the gospel. They lost the hope of the gospel. They lost the message of the gospel. And there are just empty church buildings everywhere. Uh, beautiful beautiful buildings beautiful monuments are empty uh, that are void of the gospel places that once preached the gospel but now they may have 10 people that show up and the message preached is not the gospel so it is eye-opening it is it should it should cause us to be awake to the fact that the gospel message must always be central in our churches here too because if we lose the gospel message, if we lose the, the missional focus of reaching lost people, our churches will do the same so it is a stark reminder uh, of what it means when we lose the gospel, when we lose focus on being missional and reaching people and so uh, that 's just some of what's you know the culture of Boston, but uh, one very interesting part about the culture of Boston is that it is extremely community oriented. We went to all these different churches uh, and visited the pastors of different churches across the city, and they're very neighborhood oriented. So for instance, I live like near on the Hamburg side of Lexington, and uh, you know, I know there's a lot of people in this church that live on the Beaumont side of, of Lexington. I still come over to Beaumont side, obviously for church, but we go to restaurants here and you guys, some of you, maybe less frequent than others, you'll go to Hamburg, the Hamburg side, to shop or eat or do whatever. In Boston, it's not exactly like that. If you're from a neighborhood, you may never go to another neighborhood. There are literally people that live in a neighborhood, they will never leave there their whole lives, unless maybe they go to a Celtics game or to a Red Sox game, but they will stay in their neighborhood their whole lives. They're self-sustaining, they have everything they need there's no need to go anywhere so they are very community oriented and they're very tight-knit very very tight-knit communities and their identity as a people are based on the neighborhood where they're from well I'm from this neighborhood Uh, I'm from Charleston or I am from Jamaica Plains Um, so whatever it may be that is where they they really have so much of their identity in their neighborhood and where they're from there is great pride uh, everyone's proud of their city, everyone's proud of where they're from, but Boston, it may be the most, and, and this is in, in a sense good, one of the most proud cities uh, in America in terms of the people, they love their city, uh, they love it so much, so that's a big part of the culture, is they, they are, their identity is very much in the fact that they're Bostonians, uh, and with that also is a tradition of Uh, the Irish Catholic background. So the people there, the religion, kind of the religious atmosphere is a lot of Irish Catholicism, but a very empty uh, Catholicism uh, in terms of practice and you know it's Easter and Christmas and no no time else and also secularism, the university secularism. So that is the culture, this is the, uh, the the obstacles to the gospel and the things that the pastors there, that they're trying to see how can we reach these people, these people that they love their city, they love their communities. Uh, outsiders are not looked upon so well. It is tough for an outsider coming into the city. So the churches there, they have a great, uh, great challenge, and, and there are a lot of challenges with the culture. So one thing, the uh, the church there, one of the churches there, the pastor, he's been the... He's been there for less than a year, but he's in this neighborhood um, in Winthrop. So Winthrop is the area that he's in, and he met a family. He said, we're new. We're new to the neighborhood. We've been here less than a year. And this other family said, oh, we're new too. And he said, how long have you been here? And they said, 37 years, and they still considered themselves new because everyone else in that community has been there three, four, five, six, seven, eight generations. So the great obstacles, uh, and that can just be one of them. There's so many obstacles and challenges in the culture, and one specifically uh, in terms of how can we help. Um, and, and when we watch the Annie Armstrong videos, I mean anything to do with missions, we always hear about the finances, right? Uh, that that is always something uh, major that we encounter anytime we're looking to support missions. Well, financially. Boston, it's a, it's a whole other animal because Boston is very expensive. Some of you, I'm sure, have visited there, uh, you know, just to sightsee. And you go and you eat at the restaurants and you're like, this is crazy expensive. It's so expensive. Uh, and, and that's a big obstacle. That's a, a big challenge for the churches, uh, not just for church facilities and ministries within the church, but just for livelihood. Where renting a two-bed a small two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment can be twenty five hundred dollars a month. I mean, think about that. You know, twenty-five hundred dollars a month here, that's gonna get you a mansion, basically. You're gonna have a, a big old house uh, for for rent like that. Uh, so it is expensive. And and that is a big challenge. And every single one of the, the pastors, they were honest about that. Like, listen, like financially, it is tough. We have to stretch our dollars so far. Uh, just to to do the ministries that we want to do. They have to be very creative uh, and and really steward that money well so uh, that is certainly a challenge but our Annie Armstrong giving you know that is part of that but you know also as I was there I met with six different churches and pastors and we can't partner with every single one of them. Uh, We're not able to do that but when you get all the churches in Kentucky all the associations coming together we can find ways to help every one of those churches. So if we can even partner with one church, that can go a long ways in reaching the city. And it is, those churches, it is a brotherhood. The churches there, especially the Southern, but not just the Southern Baptist churches, but the gospel churches, they are a brotherhood. Uh, And and their mission is to reach the city. And if one church succeeds, they all succeed. uh, Because that is going to help their mission in reaching the city. So, the gospel, it is advancing. And I'm about to close. The gospel, it is advancing, and I just want to share two quick things about what's going on there and two of the churches I visited with. One of those is Restoration Road Church, and the pastor is Joey, and Joey is the only native Bostonian pastor in that area, of a Southern Baptist church. He's the only na- native Bostonian. He's got the accent, everything, he's everything you would picture in your mind of this guy from Boston pastoring a church. And... Uh, and in the last five years, they've baptized 37 people. Man, that's great. That is great. That is humbling. That's very humbling. 37 baptisms in five years. And they're just, they're just taking off. They're running about 100, 100 people in their church. So they're reaching new people. They're getting new believers. And one amazing thing that God has done for them on a financial side in terms of facilities, because they have this great church building, this big church building. It's old, and there's a lot of you know problems, and it's a challenge, but God gave them, essentially, it was clearly a work of God. This was a $3 million church building. Real estate is more there, but a $3 million church building that God allowed them to purchase for $300,000. Now, they still have a, a, a note on that, but that was a work of God. So God answered prayers. He gave them this. They would never be able to afford otherwise. Uh, and God is, is supplying them the things they need to reach their community. Uh, and that is a church that we could certainly partner with uh, in terms of whether it be a youth trip or uh, just a trip where we go you know, beyond youth, college, whatever, where we can go and help. There's a lot of things at the church building uh, that they need help with uh, and that we can do and of course, helping financially. And the last thing I wanna share, the last thing I wanna share, and I'm trying to be quick, um, is the story of Harbor City Church. Harbor City Church is in Winthrop, Massachusetts. And the pastor, his name is Jason. Uh, Jason and his wife, Micah, they moved from Tennessee and they left, he was pastoring a church of over a thousand people in Tennessee. He was the, the head teaching pastor called to go to Boston. So his church sent him, uh, and that church is helping with with that church plant uh, a great deal, but not, not alone. So he left pastoring a church of a, think about that, having everything, pastoring a big church, a thriving church, to go to Boston and to minister. And so they're in Winthrop, Massachusetts, and it is tough. It is difficult. There are very few Christians. And they haven't launched the church yet. They're still in the, we're just gathering people, we're trying to create a core group, and they haven't officially even launched the church and had church services yet. So they're looking for a space, and so he meets, he goes to a coffee shop, basically to make his office. He goes there, does work there, answers emails, and this coffee and pastry shop is owned by this man named Rafiki, and Rafiki is a Muslim, and that very day we were in Boston, that very day, he comes to talk to us and to tell us about his church, and he comes, and he has news to tell us. That morning, he was talking with Rafiki, and the conversation started because of our group, the group that was coming there, and they were, he was asking questions, and they got to talking about, uh, about Jason's need just for a space, just for... He had, he had had roadblock after roadblock because he's an outsider, and that city, that little town, they're not going to let a Christian come and use their school to meet. They're not going to let them use their community center to meet for church. And this Muslim man says, you can use my restaurant. You can use this cafe. It's a nice open space, not a lot of walls, there's some separate rooms. This Muslim man, God uses and says, you Christians can use my space. That was powerful. The whole group, all of us, we, he's telling the story, we are in tears. This is, we are seeing God's power at work, that God, using unbelievers, people opposed to the gospel, saying, you can use it. So God is advancing the gospel, even through people who are opposed to it. Now, Jason, one thing we were all rejoicing is because this relationship is growing, and Jason is just saying, listen, we can't wait till the day we baptize Rafiki in his own restaurant, because... And we we believe it. We believe that God is at work and God is going to do these things. And these are the things that God is doing in the city of Boston. So we can pray for these people. We can pray for the churches. And uh, the work God is doing is great. So about 10 years ago, there were less than 10 Southern Baptist churches in Boston. I think it was like five. Five Southern Baptist churches. Today, there's 77 Southern Baptist churches. And when I say Southern Baptist, think about that. Here... We're not the only evangelical gospel churches a Southern Baptists in Lexington, in, in Kentucky. They're in Boston. The Southern Baptist churches, they are about, not, not exclusively, but they are about the only gospel churches in Boston. So when you hear 77 churches, that's the majority of gospel churches. So 77 gospel churches, Southern Baptist churches in Boston today. And the goal is to have 300 by 2030 to have 300 churches so we are a big part of that as a church as a denomination uh, and, and we can continue to be a part of that so uh, we have a part in that and I just hope this is an encouragement to you and that you say I want to be a part of that you know if we're doing a trip sometime I want to go I want to see I want to invest you can be a part of that so we're very excited about that God's work I think I went over time I tried to go fast but uh I would like to pray and then David uh the choir can be Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'll pray, and then and then we'll begin through the music uh, worship. Lord, thank you for uh, your work in the cities, uh, your work in Boston, and how uh, you are using people from all over, uh, people who have left it all behind to leave great careers, great jobs, great ministries uh, to serve you, and how you are using people who don't even believe in your son. Uh, to help advance the gospel through just providing a space uh, for Christians to worship. Uh, how you are providing the ways financially for churches to make it and to serve their communities. And God, I pray that you would burden people in this audience, in this congregation, uh, for their hearts to, to be burdened for Boston, uh, to want to be a part of it financially or by going and seeing and experiencing these things. And may we as a church be faithful faithful with what you've given us and as a an association and as a Uh, denomination uh, to see your gospel advance. Uh, We give you praise for the work. We pray for them today, that their worship services this morning, even now, are are filled with people that people are reached, that people come to salvation uh, and and know you, and that we can just be a part of this, that we are a brotherhood of churches, uh, all seeking the advancement of the gospel uh, to glorify Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Certainly, Jesus is the sweetest name that we know, and we're going to sing that together. Would you stand as we sing, please? Jesus Lord, is Lord, the
2: sweetest name Lord, I know, Lord,
1: and He's just the same as His lovely name, and that's the reason why I love Him so. Lord Jesus is. Lord, Let's sing that one one more time. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. Lord Jesus is the sweetest name I know. His name is wonderful. Oh!
3: As we go to our Savior in prayer, Father, what a wonderful experience this morning of hearing the great voices blending together, praising and glorifying your name. Truly you are worthy. Father, we cannot begin to praise you with all that is due to you, but thank you that we can be a part. We praise you today and thank you for the great salvation that you have made possible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have the gift of eternal life. Thank you for that glorious promise. Thank you to be a recipient of that. And because of that love and grace and mercy, Many of us here today have the assurance of the gift of eternal life. We pray, Father, if there are those this morning that do not know your saving word, Lord, that they might bow their knee before thee today. Father, we live in a wicked environment, and our light needs to shine bright for your glory. Help us, our Father, to be stirred within heart and soul this day as your word is proclaimed to us. And may we see our city in its lostness, Lord. Such a small percentage of us that are believers and followers. Help us, Lord, to be light in the darkness today. Help us to demonstrate where sin abound, that grace did more abound. Bring the victories, Lord, that you would have brought here this day. We pray in the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. And as you're seated, we're going to sing the song this morning during the offering called Day by Day. Let's sing it together. Day by day and with each passing moment. I find to meet my trials here trusting in to be Jim and Judy Gallenstein, and I'm going to encourage you not to leave come on in if you're outside come on in right now but once this starts please don't leave or come in during the drama okay
4: Thank you, David. <clears throat> Who here's ever been to an African American church? You no, know, their morning service turns into the evening service. It's what I mean. You're, you're there so long, your phone battery dies, and they're passing out cell phone chargers in the, at those churches. So that is. Uh, uh, open your Bibles <clears throat> to the book <clears throat> we're going to see here, the Book of Psalms, Psalm 40. But then we're going to flip over. And we're going to look over in a little bit. We're going to look at three different places in scriptures today. We're going to look at Psalm 40. I want you to turn there because we're going to talk about what it's like when you're in the pits. In a pit. But then we're going to flip over our Bibles and we're going to see here in the uh, book of Revelation because they went through some uh, pit, pitiful times in this one of the churches in Smyrna. And then we're going to look at a guy who actually was in a pit. His name was Joseph and that's in... Genesis 37. So we're going to look at it, uh, very short verses in all three of these. But uh 3 weeks ago, we had a, we had a sermon here on the Valley of Baca, which that's our Psalm 84, but we're not turning there. We're in Psalm 40. And that's about how we're passing through the Valley of Baca, which is the Valley of Tears. Well, the the pilgrims were leading up and they were passing through. Here we're going to see something in the scriptures. And I believe this is uh something that all of us go through. And even this morning, you could find yourself in a pit. And we're going to see what the Bible talks about, because being a pit doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It might be that the Lord allowed you to be in a pit for a greater purpose. Remember Joseph, we're going to see here, he went from the pit to the palace, and he was completely in God's will. Beth Moore, in 2007, came out with a book. It was called Get Out of That Pit. And when it actually was re-released uh, last summer... But in the book, it's based on Psalm 40. And basically it's saying that you might be in a pit and you find yourself trying to claw yourself out. You just can't get out when you're in a pit. But what happens is you have to have Jesus who reaches down, and we're going to see this in Psalm 40, and pulls you out of the pit. The Lord takes us out of pits when we're in a dark time. And the book warns us that you could be standing on the edge of a pit On a slippery slope. And if you're not careful, you will fall into it. We're going to look at that. This morning, some of you could be standing on the slippery slope. And if you are not careful, you will fall into a pit. You know, when you come to the Word of God, when we open our Bibles, we have to guard ourselves because we don't want to be distracted. God wants to speak to us And it's very easy as we we listen to the Word, we will find ourselves coming, and we're not ready for God to speak to us. So this morning, we really want to see here, God, what are you saying? We're going to look at this, and we're going to flip over, and we're going to look here at this church in Revelation chapter 2. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up out of a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear that they will trust in the Lord. Now this is David. This is a psalm here written by David. He's crying out to the Lord because he was in a pit. You know, we always talk about the great things of David with him defeating a, um, a Goliath with him killing a bear and a lion with his bare hands with him having great military victories but we also forget David was on the run there was a man named Saul who tried to kill this guy he was hiding in caves he had that crazy one point to get away he went through a bunch of he went through seasons where truly he was in a pit Ye, I mean year after year this man is running and he finds himself here. He's crying out from the pit, saying, I wait patiently for God. God, I am in the pits right now. And I need you. And he acknowledged that only God could help him. The Lord is the one, in verse 2, who brings him up out of the desolate pit. You can't claw yourself out. He's, out. He's in this muddy clay, and God sets his feet down. And this morning for us, some of us, you are struggling because apostasy in the Scriptures is real. Apostasy is a falling away or a falling sleep. You're just dull. You're dull to the Gospel. And you're not fully awake. And the Lord, He wants to pull you out of that. He wants to, he wants to bring you out of this pit. keep your finger here in Psalm chapter 40. And I want to look at this church in Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. It's the church of Smyrna. Because they were about to have to go through the pit. And it was God's plan. Ten days they were going to have to experience this. You know, our world is really good at producing things to get into. Not the Bible. But other things to keep you distracted. To keep you in a pit. To keep you preoccupied and busy. Very easy. It's a temptation. All of us are going to struggle with this. Our world never encourages us to get into God's word, to spend time in prayer and just getting to know the Lord. Look at what happened here, Revelation chapter two, verse 10, 10 and 11. I want to read these verses here. This is the book of Revelation starts out with these uh, letters, these seven churches. And when there's one church called Smyrna, and he says here, "This is Jesus actually speaking." He said to the church here in Smyrna. It's a warning about something that's about to happen. Because listen, if it's going to happen to Smyrna 2,000 years ago, it can easily happen to you and I today here in 2018. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. So the Lord's preparing this church. So it's, it's Tough times are coming. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. Meaning, I tell you, if you're in prison, you're in jail, you're in the pit. I mean, that's a pitiful place to be is in locked up and... The devil is going to attack this church. To attack the believers there and say, you're going to go through some tough times, suffering. And you're going to be in prison. It's going to be a testing. And you will experience affliction for ten days. And I will give you the crown of life. I mean, there's going to be this period you're going to go through. And then you're going to come out of it. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Don't miss that Bible verse. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to the Spirit. Why does, why does the Lord say that? Because a lot of folks will hear it, but they won't hear it. God's speaking, but they miss it. They're distracted. They're not. God is warning this church, saying you're going to go through a tough time, believers. You're going to walk through the pit. You're going to be in prison. But listen, the crown of life is coming. The one who conquers... Will never be harmed by the second death. What is the second death? If you are a, bo- a born again believer, you, you are born obviously two times You're physically, and then you have a spiritual birth. That's what it means to be born again. And we only experience one death. We're twice born, once, de- once death. So we only die one time. Now, a lost person is born one time, yet they die twice. There's a spiritual death that awaits. An unsaved soul, someone who does not know Jesus, the people in Boston, the massive mission field, these folks will die without the Lord. They are in the academic capital of our nation. They will die without the Lord, and then they will experience another death. That's what it means to go to hell. That's what it means to die without Jesus Christ. And what happens here is there is a warning. This church in Smyrna is saying, guys you're going to go through prison, you're going to have affliction, you're going to go through the pits. But it's not going to be eternal. It's only going to be for ten days. And the devil's going to be behind him. And God is going to allow this to happen for a period of testing. But there's a crown waiting for you. So that's a picture here of a church that, the church of Smyrna, they are passing through the pit. So look, look up on the screen here. I have some pit principles. This is what the pit means. When you're in the pit... It is easy to have a pity party. You are literally there and you just feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to become depressed. It's easy to feel like the world is caving in and collapsing around you, that no one cares. And you just you become bitter. You complain. You gripe. Woe is me. That's a pity party. You have to, re- you have to recognize if you are a negative person and you find yourself complaining all the time, stop and say, Am I in a pit? Am I allowing this to spill over into my life? When really, Lord, I just need you to pull me out of this. That's the problem. I need you, Lord. Only God can get you folks out of a pit. Number two, there are times when the pit has been ordained by God. We're about to see that here in Genesis 37. It might be God's plan for you to be in a pit. In fact, it was with Joseph and in fact with the church in Smyrna. It was God's plan. He he ordained this church. There's going to be ten days of difficult times for you, church in Smyrna. It's not going to be easy. In fact, the devil's going to test you while you're there. Number three, you can be in the pit and no one around you knows it. That's important. This morning, if you you are down the dumps, you don't have to tell people that. You don't need to let the world know. You might be in a season of your life that is not really where you want to be. But you going around complaining and griping about it. That, that's not God's plan. Will, our, as born-again believers, we should be praising and giving glory to the Lord, not talk about how bad our circumstances are. Do not create a climate for living in the pit. You know, this is important because many of us, we find ourselves... We have created a climate where you've settled. You've accepted this is how it's going to be. This is my life. It's not ideal. It's not what I wanted. But I'm just going to live this pitiful life. We read here in the Scriptures, in Psalm 40, David cried out to the Lord when he was in the pit, and the Lord reached down and pulled him out. And he says he waited patiently. He made God, I know it's going to happen. You're going to get me out of this. This season, I will get through it. It is not the end. This is not the Lord's goal for me to be living in a pit my whole life. You know, for David here, back in Psalm 40 here, what happened, we see this pattern throughout David's life. You know, David, he's on the run. He's running from Saul. He's living in caves. He's trying to be killed. You know, it's... You know, I imagine when David was running from Saul, he probably had forgotten that years ago, Samuel had ordained him to be the king. And he sure didn't feel like a king. I mean, he's he's on the wanted list. I mean, Saul, this man is trying to kill David. Say, Lord, what happened to that blessing I got from Samuel? David here, he realizes he's in a pit. First step, many times, just realizing I'm in a pit. Lord, this is not ideal for me. And a lot of times, the reason you could be in a pit could be several reasons. It might be because of sin. You were standing on that slippery slope, and sin will get you in a pit. And through Jesus Christ, He forgives. He restores. When you repent, He pulls you out of that. But not all pits are because of sin. You're in a season, possibly, in your life, that the Lord has you in a pit, just like that church in Smyrna. It's a time of testing, where God's looking and saying, I want to see, when you go through this dark time, are you going to be dependent upon me? Are you going to rely upon the Lord? David here, he's in a pit. He cries out to God for help. He well, Here's the pattern. He's in a pit. He cries out to God while he's in a pit. He waits for the Lord while in the pit. That's the hardest thing. God draws him out of the pit. And knowing that, he puts a new song into him. You know, someone else had a new song. Moses, we won't turn there, but... Moses, in uh, Exodus chapter 15, when they passed through the Red Sea, the first thing Moses did, Exodus 15, verse 1, God put a new song. He sang to the Lord. He was glad God is because you I got out of this. And the great thing about a pit, when you go through a pit, other people trust God when they see what He's done in your life. How this person went through this time and went down and the Lord pulled them out. And they become believers. People can get saved. People can come know the Lord because of what God has done in your life. We need to have ears saying, God, I want to be open to you speaking to me. I listen to sermons all the time, and we have four children, so uh, they hear them all the time. I listen to them on my podcast. I listen to all sorts of uh, preachers, but uh, one of them I was listening to this week, and Elizabeth was in the room, and she was, I was hoping, was overhearing it, and, uh, I said, Elizabeth, uh, so did you hear the sermon? She said, Yes, Daddy, I did. So well, what's it about? Tell me one thing. Long pause? She said, Jesus. <laughs> yes, it was about Jesus. A church answer right there. But it is possible, I want y'all to know this. It is possible that you are coming to church. You are hearing sermons. You are singing songs. You've been in this business Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And listen, you are still in the pit. You're not hearing God. In that passage in Revelation 2.11, Jesus warned that church in Smyrna. They said, listen, you need to listen to what the Spirit is saying. If you are here, this is what the Spirit is saying to you, this is your message from the Lord this morning. If you are here this morning on worship, God has ordained that the first day of the week, which is Sunday, is His day for the Lord, the day you come and worship the Lord. If you come to worship and you hear God's Word preached and sung about and uplifted high, and you give your offering, and you come wanting to hear a message, and you're just nothing, dry, emptious. There's nothing there. You really have to say, Lord, am I in a pit? What's wrong, God? And maybe you need to be crying out to the Lord. Say, God, help me hear from you. Do you want to hear from God? Do you want to experience the Lord in your life? One of the reasons you might not be is because you're distracted. You're in a pit and you're down there having a pity party. And you're having a great time. And you have completely forgotten that you're even stuck in a pit. That is where the devil, I mean, you've got climate control. you created this great environment. Of misery. Misery loves company. And you're stuck down there and you've forgotten that this is not where the Lord wants you. God wants you to come to His house with an anticipation. Folks are going to get saved. God's going to speak to you. Church is going to be an incredible, God honoring service. It's about the Lord. There's a sense of excitement. It's not a funeral service, it's an exciting time to come to the Lord. He is alive, He's risen, tombs empty. But if that's not you, you have to say, God, have I slipped into a pit? Have I fallen into this? David's crying out. He recognized, this isn't, what am I doing running around in a cave all the time? God, this is wacko. I'm, I'm supposed, to, you have ordained me to be the king of Israel, and I'm going cave to cave hiding from Saul. Flip over in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible, Genesis 37. I want you all to see this story. If there's there's a story about a man in a pit, it's Joseph. You need to know this Bible story. You learned this in Sunday school, and you need to study it today. I want to tell you about Joseph. Joseph was one of these guys that had a bunch of brothers. uh, Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was number 11. And Joseph was, this is why you should not show favoritism to your children, Joseph was the favorite of Jacob. Joseph received a coat of many colors. God spoke to Joseph in dreams, and Joseph was one of these guys, when you're the youngest, you know, I'm the oldest, Sherry and I are oldest, so I don't know, what the, if you're the youngest or next to the youngest, you know what it's like. Your mom and dad are usually easy on you, they've raised the other 10 kids, so by the time number 11 comes along, anything goes. Well, Joseph was one of these guys, he'd walk up to his brother and say, brothers, look at this nice coat dad gave me. I'm having these great dreams with all of you bowing down, just kind of. Just stuck it to his brothers, and they, they didn't like it. They're like, "This is—we're sick of this son. He's a dreamer." Well, one day they're out, and their father Jacob sent Joseph to go give a report and find out how the other brothers are doing. So he's alone, away from his dad. When well, Genesis 37 here, he goes out there, goes and finds his father or his brothers. Dad sent him out there, and they saw him coming and they go, "Oh, well, here comes that dreamer. Let's show him. Let's kill him." So they uh, they captured they captured Joseph and they were about to kill him but then what happened is uh, this man named Judah spoke up in verse 26 look at this sometimes we need a Judah in our life Genesis 37:26 Judah said to his brothers what do we gain if we kill our brother and and cover up his blood. Like, why kill the boy? Let's, let's, let's get some money off this guy. Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he is our brother in our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When the Midianite traders passed by, some Midianite traders were passing by headed to Egypt. So they see him. These are smart guys, they're businessmen. So like, let's make a few bucks on this young guy or a little brother. They pulled, look at this, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. That's what happened here. One man, Judah, they were about to kill this boy. But Judah spoke up and said, let's pull him up out of the pit and sell him as a slave. And let's make some money off of him, take his pretty little coat and show dad that a wild animal killed your boy. Now, they probably thought, we would never again see or hear from Joseph. He was gone. That was the end of Joseph. God had a greater plan for Joseph. Joseph became a slave in Potiphar's house. Next thing he knew, he was in jail. Lord lift him out of that because he could interpret dreams. and he was the governor of Egypt. There with Pharaoh. What a promotion from this man. He went from the pit to the palace, back down to prison, back all the way up to the palace again. It was literally a roller coaster for Joseph. But do you know what God was doing in this man's life? He brought him into the pit. All the people went down, the Israelites, went down to, jo- to Joseph's Israel, Egypt. Because God had spoke to Joseph to store up food. So all of Israel, to save the nation, they had to move to Egypt so that they could have food and grain to eat. And 400 years later, there was a guy named Moses, because the people were in Egypt, the Israelites, and they started multiplying and flourishing. That one little trip, by selling Joseph to their, these Midianite traders who took him to Egypt, that started the ball rolling to getting all the Israelites into Egypt. And then God was going to do raise up a name named Moses, and they are going to have ten plagues, and we're going to part the Red Sea. God's plan was for Joseph to pass through the pit and to go in the pit. It wasn't an accident. Joseph was one of the few people in the Bible who we see who never sinned. Never do we see J- Joseph was a man of integrity. He constantly served the Lord. Even when he saw his brothers again that sold him as a slave and threw him in a pit, He wasn't bitter or angry with them. He forgave them. Now we see this guy here, Joseph. And you may be in a pit. But just like Joseph and David, we don't stay in pits. You should not be staying there. God's plan for Joseph's life was to rule Egypt and then Israel. That was God's plan for him. The pit was not his plan. You know, when you're in a pit, I want to share, even when Joseph was in he continued to minister other people. When he was in Potiphar's house, he was a man of integrity. Potiphar's wife was trying to sleep with him. He ran away, even lost his coat. He was in prison. He accurately served and actually helped break up fights and helped serve the other prisoners. He was such a good prisoner, they put him in charge of the prison. I mean, he was just a, a godly man. And while you're waiting patiently, if you're in a pit this morning... We continue to minister to other folks. Our former interim pastor here, Rick Shannon, you know the past month he's been down the road here at St. Joseph's Hospital. He had surgery, he got infection, he's been there a month. I got a phone call, text message, sorry, then phone call later from him. He's ministering to the other uh, patients there at the hospital. And he got to know somebody that needed gas. And so they're from out of town, they just need help. And our church was able to meet that need for them. And I thought... What a godly example. If you've been in the hospital one month, you'll probably feel like you're in prison. You're in the pits. You want to leave. You want to go home. But instead of having a pity party and thinking down about yourself, you're saying, God, I might be here, but I want to serve and minister to other folks. There's always someone worse off than you. So look up on the screen here. Here's what we do. If you were in a pit this morning, here's our takeaway principles. The pit principles. If you're in a pit this morning, this is what you need to do. First of all, you need to acknowledge that you're in a pit. You can't be in denial. You can't pretend everything's great when church is not. You know, the first way to get saved is you have to realize you're lost. The first step to getting out of a pit, you have to realize I'm in a pit. Things aren't going great. But God, I'm going to cry out to you and you will lift me out of this. Number two, you don't, don't believe Where you are is permanent. This is not your final destination. If you're having difficult and dark days today, or you're in that season, you realize, Lord, you are great. This is not my permanent home. This is not where I'm going to stay. Number three, only God can lift you from the pit. You cannot, like Beth Moore said, church, you cannot claw yourself out of the pit. Can't do it. God lifts people out of the pit and sets them on the rock. And we cry out to the Lord say, Lord, I need a lift. I need you to pick me out of this. Whatever I'm going through, whatever disease I'm battling, whatever setbacks I have in my life, Lord, I need you. And number four, your pit experience makes you rich. It does. Spend it on a fallen person. Your problems serve a purpose. Your problems serve a purpose. Now I want to tell you, if you're going through a pit, if you're in a tough time right now, use that to minister to someone else. Be a blessing in someone else's life. God has allowed you to experience the pits and the disappointments and the problems you've had for the very purpose to minister. Do You know, you think about Joseph. If anyone was able to minister to other fallen people, it was Joseph. He knew what tough times were like. So when God told him seven years of, of famine are coming, you need to save up. If there's anybody to say, Lord, I believe you, because I have seen you work in my life. I was once thrown in a pit, got pulled out of my brother, sold as a slave. Then I'm in the palace. Potiphar's wife had a run-in with her, got thrown in jail from that. Then you lifted me out. I mean, it's just a roller coaster in his life, up and down. He has seen the Lord work. And Joseph says, later on in the book of Genesis, he says, what was meant for bad, God meant for good. There was a greater purpose. Don't waste your pit experience. Pit experiences make you rich. It forces you to depend on the Lord. You're completely dependent. That's that's my phone. Told y'all, African American church just keeps on going. Battery's going to die. Jesus lifts you out of the pit. He is your Judah. We're about to have an invitation. This is what we will to end on today. You're in your pit. Remember Joseph. Judah came along. He's the one that says, hey, let's sell this guy. Let's, let's get some money off of him instead of just killing him here and let him starve to death. You know who came from the lineage of Judah? Jesus did. Jesus is actually described as the Lion of Judah. Some of you need a Judah experience. Where you need someone, Judah means praise, where you need someone that even though Judah had ulterior motives, He lifted them out. If you are here this morning, listen, church, and you've never been born again, if you are stuck in a pit, you've never been saved, Jesus pulls you out. That's what it means to be born again. Jesus Christ pulls you out of the pit. He saves your soul. He's saying, this isn't your permanent home. This isn't for my people to be living in a pit all the time. Now, you might fall in a pit. You might go through a pit. But your home isn't the pit. Our home is in heaven. Our home is a relationship with the Lord. Our home is having excitement and passion of knowing Jesus. If you do not know Jesus, you need the Lion of Judah to reach down and pull you out. That's what it means to give your life to Christ. Some of you this morning, maybe it's you, you're in the pit, and God's speaking to you saying you need to get saved. You need to be pulled out. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray, if there's anybody here this morning, and they have never been pulled out of the pit by the line of Judah, And they've never experienced salvation from You, Jesus. Lord, just like David cried out, Lord, You answered that prayer. You heard that. Lord, speak to us this morning. Help us see that You have a greater life for us. Not one of misery, And not one of failing to hear Your Word. Lord, help us respond to You. Lord, You've called us. You've equipped us. You've you've equipped us into being born-again believers. Just like Joseph, wherever we're at, Lord. God, pull us out. Whether we're in prison, we're in the pit, or we're in the palace, or we're with Pharaoh. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, we will see You've ordained it. You've got a purpose and a plan for all of us. Lord, help us not waste our pit experiences. Just like David said in Psalm 40, verse 3, people will see what you've done in our life and trust you. Lord, I pray this morning, we will be an example. We will not waste our problems. It will speak to other folks. Lord, I also pray for us, those who are struggling, and we we don't know what our problem is. Lord, we cry out and realize our first step is knowing you, God getting saved, being twice born. Lord, I pray this invitation, Lord, this dynamic worship service we've had, Lord, I pray we boldly respond to the gospel. Set us on fire. Give us a passion for Boston. Give us a passion for you. Give us a passion for Lexington in reaching our communities and neighborhoods, reaching our homes. God, set our hearts on fire. We don't want to come in church with a dull mind. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here, they need to get saved, I pray they boldly walk this aisle and take my hand and say, I'm ready, today's the day. Lord, we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have our invitation. We close every worship service here with invitation. I want to invite everyone to stand. We're going to sing just as I am. If you want to make a decision this morning, I'll be standing right front.
1: Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee.
4: Stand out back. Uh, you have a little information card if you want to know more about joining our church or making a decision. You just fill it out and you can hand it to me. And uh, brother, herder, I certainly follow up with you this week. I want to remind everybody a couple of things going on this week. Uh, this coming Wednesday, we're starting a brand new Bethmore Bible study. So it's a ladies' study uh, led by Miss Adrian Carroll. So it's called the Family of Jesus. Is that right? So it starts this coming Wednesday at six thirty there, and the, just go into the um, fellowship hall right there, in one of the rooms off to the side. So uh, definitely, will invite folks to that. A, a great way to um, uh, you know, connect to, uh, I think it's a seven-week Bible study. Next Sunday, I want to let you all know, we have, our, we have a partnership with Mary Todd Elementary School, and that's going to be next Sunday. We're going to highlight that, the principal, and one other teacher is going to be coming and speaking, but I'm going to be sharing a message really about <clears throat> what public education, how it was started. And it's not going to be all about public education, but you know churches and Christians started education. We are, as believers, we are in the education business, and we educate folks about Jesus. So I'll be sh- preaching about that. It's a great Sunday. You don't want to miss it. So I want to certainly invite you to that. Our Wednesday night study, we're starting a one-month study on the crucifixion. So we're going to be looking at that, uh, about Jesus dying, and that meets up here in Sanctuary at 630. So those are some of, some of the great things going on here at Broadway this coming week. David? Let's close by singing, Because He Lives.
1: cos